everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Mark B. from Bangladesh, Wayne out in northern Colorado, and Alan in Alabama. And we are here for our second week of, of ecological solar design. And I'm not going to spend very much more time other than just to say we are so grateful to have Alan. He was amazing last week, everybody. Any of you that did not listen, if you are an Eat Free member, you still can get his replay probably up until sometime over the weekend from last week even um, and watch it. And I would highly recommend that because it was amazing. And I know tonight's going to be great and, and we're going to, you know, Mark, he's going to do at least eight or nine more weeks and it could be more than that. So that said, uh, one last thing couple more sessions tomorrow. We actually got a very cool three hours scheduled on Friday, which is kind of our meet the members. And we've got three different people that we're going to have um, some presentations for. And one fella who is uh, pretty special, his name's Samir. He's at Ambry Gardens. And, you know, I, I think this is pretty accurate. I think they're the only hemp production facility in the U.S. that's using aquaponics. And, and he's going to talk about their experience with that. And then another, here's an interesting one. They're at 9,000 feet, folks. Um, obviously, they're indoors, and they produce year-round, and they're producing their own CBD. So they do extraction, the whole work. So they are a soup-to-nuts kind of operation, and we're pleased to have Samir with us tomorrow during that session. So. I'm not going to spend more time talking about how to find it and such. If you want to put it in the question, if you don't know how, we'll answer it. And I'm going to turn it over to Alan. I'm going to mute myself. So, everybody, here we go. All right. And welcome, everybody, to our second session of Ecological Solar Design. And um, what we're going to do today is, uh, as I was planning out the, the course, I realized that since we are going to be talking about solar PV and solar electric uh, as a major part of what we're doing, not the only thing, but a major part of it, that uh, it would really be important for me to go back and do um, what we're going to call Electricity 101. And for some people, this will be mostly review. I'll try to throw some things in there kind of interesting for you. But for a lot of people, I've realized as I've talked to them, uh, a lot of the, the terminology that goes on around uh, electrical circuits and power and so forth, they, they've heard them, they may be a little vague, and uh, what I want to do is make certain that we spend a few minutes getting everybody um, just comfortable with the, the vocabulary and the, the concepts we're going to be using through the rest of this series. So we're going to do that tonight, and um, I didn't want to start off first with just a little quick review of some of the key concepts from last week. And where we talked about sort of, you know, solar photovoltaic and it being the, the piece part of solar design is all about generating electricity. 
but that we wanted to see if we could first meet all of our other needs, as many needs as possible in our designs, through using solar more directly, using things like passive solar heat, direct solar hot water heating, um, cooking with the sun, and even high-efficiency wood-burning systems. And then look at using electricity only for high-value loads. And we're going to come back and really talk about those high-value loads are. And by doing that, we're going to eventually start looking at it as our goal to use 90% less electricity in our ecological solar designs than is typical in, let's just say, an average house or building. And that's going to be uh, one of the things that's going to inform our thinking as we go. And it may not be possible if you're just retrofitting a standard house, but if you're moving in that direction, you're going to be much better off. So what I want to do is just start really basic and, and think about what is electricity, you know. Um, the thing is, if you're in modern life, you're surrounded by it all the time. And we talk about it, but unless you've had physics or an engineering class or, you know, gone to school as an electrician, then maybe it's a pretty vague thing. It just is magic that runs around inside the house around you or inside the buildings around you. It makes things happen, but you really haven't had to think about what it is and how it works too much. So there are actually a lot of different forms of electricity. There is, as the previous slide was showing, there's lightning, there's static electricity that you get when you walk across the carpet and touch something that's grounded, um, and there's other forms of electricity. But the type that we are talking about for our purposes today, the type we use in homes, buildings, vehicles, uh, electronic devices, and so forth, that consists of an electric current that is flowing through a circuit. And what we mean by that is electric current is just basically a bunch of electrons that are being pushed along by some electromagnetic force, and they run through what we call a circuit. And a circuit is, we're going to look at what a circuit is in a little bit more detail later, but if you can just think of a circuit as um, basically a a bunch of wires and devices hooked together that create a complete path. And so I'm going to start with this analogy that I found to be really helpful for people who are just still starting to get their head wrapped around um, electricity. And that is, I want you to think about electric current going through a circuit as being something of an analogy to water flowing through plumbing. The difference is we have electrons that are flowing instead of water, and that those electrons are flowing through wires instead of pipes. So that's going to help us out a lot in sort of getting our head wrapped around how it works and some of the basic concepts of electricity. And you know, I'm an electrical engineer, so um, you know, just the things we do with electricity. If I have to think my way through it and go back to all the classes I, I've taken and so forth, they come down to basically two main things that we use electricity for. One is to provide power. 
that is to power something, whether it be a motor or an electronic device, um, you know, the, uh, the, or to provide power to a heating element to heat something up, like your hot water heater, if you have an electric hot water heater. There's a lot of ways we use electricity just to provide power. And the other way we use electricity is to carry information. So right now I'm sitting here talking to you on my computer. It's got an ethernet cable coming out the back and going into the router that lets me talk to the, you know, back over the internet. And that is uh, copper wire and that signal is being carried with, you know, very low power, low voltage electric uh, current going back and forth in a very particular way. And that's what's carrying the information. So in general, if you think about it, those are the two main ways that we are going to use, we, we end up using electricity in modern life. And, um, yeah, my, you know, the, the telephone line that brings the telephone in here is same thing. It's information being carried on electricity over wires. And there's a lot of places that you see that. Your USB port on your phone, all of those are electric power carrying information. But as we start looking at solar PV, uh, and we're going to be talking about producing electricity to provide power. So just wanted to kind of have us think about that and think about what we're really doing here is we need to provide to produce the kind of electricity that is of the type and scale required to power our loads. So I want to start with some really basic uh, terms to make certain we're all on the same page as we go forward. And the first two things to talk about in uh, working with electricity is a conductor and an insulator. So a conductor is simply a material that allows electricity to flow easily, where an insulator is a material that resists or blocks the flow of electricity. So the pictures I have here, one is uh, copper wire, and copper wire is what we use most of the time for uh, carrying power. <coughs> Excuse me. And then in the lower left, that is a glass insulator that used to be used um, you know, a long time ago as a way of insulating copper wires from shorting out to ground. <coughs> so, conductor lets the electricity flow. Insulator blocks the flow. <coughs> Excuse me. So what's interesting is that pure water is actually an insulator. If you have distilled water, it will not conduct electricity, but water is a powerful solvent and it likes to dissolve stuff. And as soon as water starts to get impurities in it and dissolve things into it, uh, especially salts and metal compounds, then it begins to start acting like a conductor, which is why we think of it as being somewhat dangerous to have electrical appliances, you know, around a bathtub or other, you know, bodies of water. And uh, so normally we'll just think of water, the kind of water you'll be dealing with in real life as a conductor, and therefore we have to be careful around it. The other interesting thing is that air acts as a very good insulator of um, electric current, to keep electric current from flowing. 
So this is one of the places where you have to kind of think about it. If I, we're going to talk more about this analogy of, of, of electric current being like water flowing through a pipe, but if you just have a pipe and you leave it open and there's got some water pressure behind it, that water will just come out and you know, spill it on the ground because the air actually doesn't really provide any resistance to the flow of that water, very little. But on the other hand, air acts as a really good insulator, therefore it provides a lot of resistance to the flow of electricity. Um, for those of you who are a little more technical, it's basically three megavolts per meter is the insulating capability of air. And what that means is that in electrical uh, circuit, if we have a wire that's just hanging out there in the air, it can have a lot of voltage on it and be dangerous and, the, and it won't actually let any current flow until something touches it that provides a path for electricity to flow that has that is something of a conductor. So just something important to think about that um, air is an efficient insulator. And that brings us to this idea that electricity needs a complete path or a circuit in order to flow. And if you have what we call an open circuit, then it won't. So don't worry about all the little symbols in this diagram. This is a little circuit diagram. Just look over at the far left-hand side. There's a little thing called S. That's a switch. And at the moment, that switch is open. And what that means is the battery, which is the little thing down at the bottom labeled E, doesn't have a complete circuit. And so no electricity will actually flow through all the rest of the little devices that are there on that schematic. Don't worry about what they are too much yet. But um, what that means is until that switch is closed and we have a complete path from the, the um, positive side of the battery to the negative side of the battery, then no current's gonna go anywhere. So yes, the thing on the very bottom, that's uh, a, a, a long line and then a short line and then a long line and a short line, that is a symbol for a battery. And um, so you have to actually have a circuit between the positive and the negative sides of the battery so that the battery can push the current through the circuit. So if we were to close that switch, then power could flow, electricity could flow, and if we were to open it back up, it would stop. Very important thing to understand that we only, we have to have a complete path in order for our electricity to flow. So, <clears throat> One of the import, other important things to, to understand is electricity will tend to follow the path of least resistance, kind of like water wanting to flow downhill. But it will flow in parallel through all paths that allow for a complete circuit. So the little diagram I have here, again, is a battery. And those are three resistors. Don't worry about that too much yet, but there are three things that electricity could flow through. And if you notice, they're all connected in parallel to each other. In other words, all of them provide a, a different path for electricity to go through. And what will happen is that just like if we were to put um, water pipes here and put a T at each one of those little junction points, 
water would want to flow both ways as long as there was some pressure pushing it and there was a complete path for it to flow. So you can kind of think of that battery almost like a water pump trying to push water. And the wires that you see in the diagram almost like pipes. And you can imagine that electricity or the water would flow through all three of those parallel resistors, um, provided that there wasn't a some other blockage in the pipes. So the reason that's important uh, is, well, not only to understand how the circuit works, but also for safety. Because if you happen to touch the wrong thing at the wrong time, in the wrong you can wind up being a path electricity and you can end up being electrocuted. So that's just um, important to bear in mind from a safety perspective. And we'll talk about that a lot more later. So with that little bit of background, we're ready to talk about four technical terms that we'll be using over and over again throughout the series. And that's when we're talking about current, voltage, resistance, and power. So let's kind of jump into it and think about it. Current is the amount of electricity that is flowing through a circuit. You can think about that as sort of like the amount of water flowing through a, flowing through a pipe. Um, so if I, have, if I have water flowing through a pipe, I'm probably going to measure it in something like gallons per minute or liters per minute. When I measure the flow of electricity through a circuit, we use a unit called the ampere, uh, often shortened as amp and abbreviated with the letter capital A. And really all an amp is, is a certain amount of electricity flowing through a wire. So just like I could look at a pipe and say, oh, there's say five gallons per minute flowing past that point on the pipe. Well, if I looked at a wire and said there's five amps flowing through that wire right there, all I'm really saying is that's a measure of how many electrons are being pushed past that point on that wire at that given time. So it's the amount of current going through that wire. The next concept is really voltage. And I've noticed a lot of people, when I ask them questions, they get confused by voltage. But voltage is the electromagnetic pressure that's pushing the current along through the circuit. And we call that pressure the voltage. So if I were going to be measuring water pressure in a pipe, I could use like pounds per square inch. And that would tell me how much pressure there was trying to push that water. In electrical circuit, that pressure, we call it voltage, and we use the unit of a volt. And really when we measure voltage, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be measuring the difference in potential between two different points. What that means is we're going to look at the pressure at one point and the pressure at another point, and we're going to say the voltage difference between these two points is a certain amount. And that pressure difference is going to tell us how much current is going to be pushed through that circuit. So now we have current measured in amps. 
the amount that's flowing. We have the pressure measured in volts to tell us how much force is trying to push that current along. The next part would be the resistance to flow that is being provided by the wire or the electrical device that the current is flowing through. Using the water analogy, if we use a smaller pipe, we know that that's going to actually resist the flow of water bigger than a big pipe. It's going to have more resistance. So if I use a smaller pipe with the same amount of pressure pushing on, like I have a pump that puts out, let's say, 20 pounds per square inch, and I put a little small pipe on it, well, it's going to push less water than if I use a bigger pipe with less resistance. And in electrical circuits, same idea. A wire has resistance and electrical devices have resistance. And it's also true that little thin wire tends to have more resistance and big wire tends to have less resistance. We measure the resistance of an electrical device or a wire to the flow of electrical current in a unit called ohms. And the symbol is the omega symbol from the Greek alphabet. So now we have current, the amount of flow in amps, voltage, the amount of pressure measured in volts, and resistance measured in ohms. And the last concept I want to introduce at, the, at this moment is power. If we are looking at water coming out the end of a pipe, then we could ask, well, how much power is behind that water? And you look at it and you go, well, it would be the combination of how much water is coming out and how much force it's coming out with. And that would actually determine the amount of power behind that water. Power in physics is defined as the ability to do work, and it is a measure of the rate of flow of energy. In an electrical circuit, we measure power in the unit of a watt. And for, again, people who are a little more technical, a watt is defined as one joule per second. So it's a rate of flow of energy. The more wattage we have, the more power we have, the more work we can make that electrical um, current do for us. And when we want to actually get a number for how many watts we have, we do that by simply multiplying the voltage times the current. So if I have a 12 volt battery and it is uh, pushing two amps, then 12 times two is 24 watts, and it's just that simple. Uh, I've used another example down below in, on the slide. If you have a current of two amps going through 10 volts, then we're using 20 watts of power. So that's just as simple as it is to get the power. Now when we get into AC 
uh, circuits a little while. We'll talk about some cases when it's a little more complicated, but for right now, that's all you really need to know. So we've got current in amps, pressure in volts, resistance in ohms, and power in watts. Keep on repeating those because I want you to start to kind of get an intuitive uh, understanding of what those things are and not to be confused when I use those as we go forward. So we did a real quick little video that just reviews these concepts. And I'm going to play it for you real quickly. Um, it um, is, uh, I, I slowed it down from last week in terms of bit rate. So hopefully everybody will be able to see it streaming to you uh, without too much interruption. So it's about four minutes. It's just a great little review. And I'll be back around on the other side of the video. So one of the challenges for a lot of people uh, when trying to think their way through electricity is it's kind of hard to see. You, a lot of time, most of the time in electrical circuits, you can't see what's going on. And so I found it really useful to kind of use an analogy of water flowing through a pipe. So what I'd like to do is do a quick review of a couple of the basic concepts of electricity uh, using a hose and some water just to help us think our way through what's really going on. So I've just got a hose with water flowing and even though the analogies with electricity is not perfect, it's, it's actually pretty good. The first thing to think about in electric current is the flow, which we measure in amps. Just like we would measure the water flow coming out of the hose here in maybe gallons per minute or so. And the next thing we would think about in electricity would be the pressure pushing the water out of the hose, which would be voltage. Here in a pipe like this or a hose, that would be maybe pounds per square inch. And then the last piece would be the resistance of the hose or the pipe itself. In this case, you just got a regular you know, garden hose, and it's providing a certain amount of resistance to the flow of water coming out. And obviously, if I kept the pressure the same and used a bigger pipe with less resistance, I get more water flow. On the other hand, if we use a really small hose with the same amount of pressure, we get less water flow. So this is really a core way of thinking about electricity flowing in a circuit. We have the amperage, the current, which is the amount of current flow measured in amps. We have the voltage, which is the pressure pushing the current. And then we have the resistance, which is the amount of pushback that whatever it's flowing through is giving you. And that together determines a lot about what kind and amount of current is flowing. So I've just taken and turned down the pressure on the hose just a little bit, and obviously the amount of current coming out, the amount of flow coming out has gone down. Just like in electric circuit, where if we reduce the voltage, keep the resistance the same, we're going to get less current. So this is why it's kind of helpful to think about voltage, current, resistance as water flowing through a pipe. Very similar relationships between amount of flow, amount of pressure, and resistance. The last thing I want to talk about is power. And that's the ability of the stream of electricity or the stream of water to actually do work. And the way we get power in electric circuit is we multiply the current times the voltage. 
and that gives us the wattage, the total amount of power. So in a stream of water, you want to think about how much work you might be able to get out of that water. It would be the product of how much flow you had times the amount of pressure behind that flow. That's exactly the same in electric current, where if I take and increase this pressure but keep this flow the same, that water's coming out with a lot more force behind it, and as a result, it's going to have a lot more power behind it. You know, we do that a lot of times if we want to uh, send the water out farther, get more power behind it, we might just take our finger and, and do this. We're restricting the water flow, but we're putting more pressure behind it, and the water goes a lot farther. So, same thing in electrical circuit. You put more voltage behind a certain amount of current, you're going to get more power. And so that's just a really quick way of thinking your way through how resistance, voltage, current, and power actually relate to each other in an electrical circuit. All right, so hopefully I'm back. And I'm just going to check in and make certain, Wayne, you can... Um, or Mark, you can see me and you can hear me and you can see my slides again. Make certain we're good to go. You're good for my end, Alan. And okay. uh, everybody throw in some wine. Make sure you've got it. Very good. All right. So this is a good point. We're about halfway through and now I'm going to kind of speed up. I know I repeated myself several times there, but I've noticed that with these very fundamental concepts that if I don't do that, that it, 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 if I just go through it really quickly, sometimes it can be end up being kind of confusing. So um, if anybody still has questions or is confused, please go ahead and throw some questions in for us, and I'll try to clarify. But uh, while we're waiting for that, I'm going to go ahead and start uh, keep on moving forward, and um, hopefully... We'll, uh, we'll get any other questions, so we'll, why or Mark, just interrupt me if we have questions we need to be dealing with. So the next thing I want to talk about is the two main types of electricity that we're going to be working with uh, in solar PV or actually in, in all the different applications that we're going to be doing. And that's direct current and alternating current. Uh, DC, direct current, AC, alternating current. And the difference is that direct current is basically, well, it's intuitively what you would think of from the analogy we were using for water in a pipe. It's like you have a pump, and it's pumping water, and the water just going in one direction. You have a steady stream of water going in one direction, and that is basically what direct current is like. You have a voltage that is typically staying the same. It's just like having the same amount of pressure in a pump pushing on a, the water through a pipe. And the result is that the current is typically the same if it's going through just a pure resistive circuit. It's just going to be the same. It's direct current. Um, in the, so in the slide, hopefully it's showing up now, you'll see that the red on the little diagram is direct current which basically means that you've got like an amp and it's flowing in one direction, just stays steady. The other kind of um, power we're going to work with is alternating current, AC. 
And this is the kind of power that comes out of your wall outlet. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But what it does is it actually alternates directions. And if you want to think about that in terms of our water in a pipe analogy, then it would be like we have a pipe with water flowing in it, but what happens is the water is flowing in this direction, and then it slows down and stops, and then it flows back in the other direction, and it slows down and stops, and it goes back and forth. And so what happened would be, there'd be a moment when it would stop, so it would be at zero, then it would start moving back, get faster going the other direction, and then it would slow down to a stop, and then it would turn direction and speed up and slow down to a stop and go back and forth and back and forth. And that's what alternating current is. The voltage, that is the pressure pushing on the current, goes back and forth. It's almost like we had a pump that did something strange. It would be strange for a water pump to do this. If we had a water pump that would like push the water one direction for a little bit and stop and push it back the other direction in, in, a, in a pipe that was going around like this. And we would end up with the current in the pipe actually going one direction and going back and forth and back and forth. And that would be alternating current. So that's the distinction between the two types of power we're going to be working with, direct current, DC, alternating current, AC. So DC, of course, that's the kind of power that our batteries produce. Um, and you know, your, your battery has a positive terminal, a negative terminal, and just produces a steady voltage. And when we hook up um, a circuit to that, then it's basically just gonna try to push the current in one direction uh, all the time. And by the way, that's, uh, that's a little crown battery there. That's the kind of uh, deep cycle battery you might use in a solar electric um, system. Okay. Um, just to give you some numbers, start wrapping your head around, the most common voltages for battery systems that we're going to be working with are 12 volt, 24 volt, and 48 volt DC. And that VDC at the end stands for volts DC. And um, what you're going to find out is we, we're going to have a whole session on batteries and storage and everything that in a lot of cases we're going to end up with a bunch of batteries and be chained together in different ways to provide the voltage and the storage capacity that we actually need. But they're going to be providing DC or direct current um, kinds of power for us. And then alternating current. Alternating between positive and negative causing the cycle to go back and forth. So it changes direction each half cycle. And that's the kind of power that your utility company is going to provide pretty much all over the world. Um, you're always getting AC power pretty much all over the world. And uh, it's going to be, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. It may come out with a different frequency and a different voltage, but it's going to be AC coming out of your wall plug. Uh, just another little note is if you have a portable generator, like a little diesel generator or a propane de generator, a gasoline-powered generator, the vast majority of those are set up to also produce AC power output so that you can basically plug in anything you would plug in in your house you can plug it to your little to that generator. 
an important thing about AC voltage is that when we talk about voltage in AC, we don't actually talk about what we would call the peak voltage. That is, if you see on this little diagram, V sub P is the voltage peak. That's the highest value that the voltage gets to. When we talk about voltage of an AC circuit, we don't actually specify that peak voltage. And we also don't specify the peak-to-peak -peak voltage, which is over on the right-hand side of the diagram where you see V sub PP, that's the peak-to-peak -peak voltage, which will be twice the peak voltage. Because what's going to happen is in the first half of the cycle, the voltage is going to go up to a certain value positive and then come back down to zero. And then the second half of the cycle, it's going to go negative and go down to the same value negative that the peak was positive and then go back to zero. And that creates an entire cycle. So it turns out for a number of reasons I'm not going to get into right now that the peak voltage, um, because we only hit that peak for just a moment, that peak voltage is not a very good number to use when you're trying to figure out how much power is coming out of um, a circuit is being pushed by an alternating current voltage. Um, so we end up using this thing that's called an RMS voltage, which stands for root mean square. And the root mean square voltage is gotten by taking the peak voltage and multiplying it by 0 0.707. And that will give you the RMS voltage. So if you're here in the United States, for example, and you're told that the voltage coming out of your wall socket is 120 volts AC, that's not the peak voltage. That's actually the RMS voltage. And that's what you're being given. So just understand that no matter where you are in the world, whatever value you're being, you're being told is your wall outlet voltage, that's the RMS voltage. And uh, whether you're, you know, in a lot of areas in the world, it's, it's uh, between 220 and 240 volts is very common. So that is RMS, or root mean square voltage. So, you know, the standard voltage coming out of a wall outlet here at Ryan in the U.S. is 120 volts AC. That's, of course, the RMS voltage. Uh, we also have some outlets here that are... Um, providing 240 volts AC, and they're used for devices like stoves, clothes dryers that require uh, more power, a lot of power. Um, and the little um, picture I have here in the lower right of this slide is actually um, a receptacle uh, that we use here in the United States for 240 volt to feed a stove or electric range. And what's interesting is that, that 220, 240 volt is actually pretty common in other locations around the world as being the voltage that's provided as a normal wall outlet. Whereas here in the United States, our normal wall outlet that you just plug your normal loads into every day is 120 volts AC. So the next thing we need to talk about about AC power is Basically, how fast is it going back and forth? How fast is it cycling? And 
how long does each cycle take? And when we start talking about that, we specify that in a unit called Hertz, which is simply the number of cycles per second. So if I had a voltage that went up and then came back down to zero in half a second and then went back down and back up to zero in the second half of the second, so that it took one full second to cycle, that would be one hertz. It would be one cycle per second. If we were to double that so that it went up and up on the first quarter second and then down on the second quarter second and then up on the third quarter second and down on the third quarter second, I had two complete cycles in a second, it would be two hertz. Keep on just getting faster and faster and we get higher frequencies. The standard frequency for AC power in the United States is 60 hertz. And that's used some other places uh, around the world, but a lot of places around the world actually use 50 hertz. So the diagram that you're looking at shows um, what in red shows what wall outlet current looks like in the United States. You can see that that RMS voltage is around 110 and 120 volts. Peak voltage is a little over 150. And that it is going through an entire cycle in something like 16 to 17 milliseconds. That is 16 to 17 thousandths of a second. Whereas the blue line is showing us what it, what it looks like in, say, an area of the world where they have 230 volt RMS voltage with 50 hertz. And so you can see it's actually cycling a little bit slower than the 60 hertz. It's only cycling 50 times in a second instead of 60. But the peak voltage is much higher, up around 325 volts. So if you could take something like an oscilloscope, which is a device that would let you look at this and watch what was coming out of your wall outlet, this is about what you'd see um, for coming out of a wall outlet in a standard home or building anywhere in the world, something like this. So the piece of test equipment we use to measure voltage current resistance is called a multimeter. And this is a critical piece of test equipment to have when you're working on electrical circuits. Uh, to me, I just think it's impossible to work safely on any electrical system without having a good proper multimeter. Um, what it is, and I'm gonna grab my multimeter, I have it here on the table behind me. Um, this is, um, this is uh, my multimeter. It, uh, I happen to like uh, Fluke uh, as a brand but there's a lot of great brands out there. And um, it will allow you to measure as different places on the dial here. If I turn it to here, it's gonna measure AC voltage. If I turn it here, it's gonna measure DC voltage. Um, I can turn it here and measure millivolts for measuring very small amounts of voltage. And then I can turn it here and it'll measure resistance of a circuit. I can see how many ohms. And then um, it also has what's called a continuity tester, where if I put the leads of the, the test equipment onto something that is a short circuit, 
it'll beep at me to tell me that I've got a connection between the um, between whatever the two leads are touching. So I'm gonna put the leads on here so you can kind of see what this looks like. There you go, I've got the leads on it. And I've got it on continuity right now, so you can hear that maybe. That tone tells me that when I touch these two together, that I've got a complete electrical circuit with very low resistance. So this is something that every electrician will be using, and when you are working on any circuit, one of the very important safety things to do is to use this to make certain that the circuit is properly de-energized, doesn't have voltage on it, before you start working on it. And um, so that's part of the reason it's such a critical piece of safety gear is to have a good multimeter to um, to get you to you know to work with. The last two positions I didn't show you were uh, both for measuring current. So it's called a multimeter because it measures a number of things. It measures voltage, it measures resistance, it measures current. So very important piece of test gear to have when you are working with electrical circuits. So one of the important things to realize is that a lot of our electrical devices use DC voltage internally even if we typically sometimes plug them into a wall. So for example, the computer monitor that I'm looking at right now as I'm doing this presentation, it plugs right into the wall outlet with an AC uh, plug. But if you look at the electronics inside of it, it's actually using DC voltage inside. Um, obviously things like your cell phone, I got my cell phone sitting right here, they use <clears throat> DC voltage inside They've got a battery they're running off of. They're running off of DC. And um, so something like a cell phone can run directly off the battery, provided that the battery that's inside of it is the proper voltage and current. And um, yeah, I had fun and put that picture of, the, uh, of, a, of a cell phone from the days when I first started working with the things. Um, that's been a few years ago that we had cell phones like that. We've come a little ways. Uh, in the uh, in, in the, the time since then, but um, just to realize that for a lot of the devices, electronic devices that we work with, what's happening is even if we plug them into the wall outlet and we have AC power coming up the power cord, that in order for us to have that device work, we have to take that AC power and turn it into DC power at the right voltage for it to work. And so it's pretty common to have to turn AC power coming from a wall outlet into DC voltage needed by a device. And that's normally done either by an internal power supply that's inside the device or by an external power brick such as a wall wart. So on the picture on the left there on the slide, that's a um, power supply for a computer. Um, and that takes, you know, the AC power from the wall outlet and it turns it into several different DC voltages required by all of the electronics inside the computer, by the motherboard, by the hard drive, by the graphics card, all that sort of stuff. And um, that would just 
be wanting a power supply inside your computer is having to do. If you have a TV set, a lot of other kinds of electrical devices that plug into a wall, they might have something like that internally, or they might have what we call a power brick or a wall wart, and I actually have one of those right here as well. Um, this is a little um, wall wart. What's actually happening here is this plugs into the wall, and then inside of this little brick are the electronics that take and turn the AC power into DC and then put DC current out onto this wire to go to the device. And um, this actually happens to be a uh, power supply for um, a ham radio that I own um, that lets us do emergency communication. So, um, but you'll see this a lot. And that's what these little guys are doing. Sometimes you'll see that the little brick is in the middle of the wire. You've got a normal plug, and in the middle of it, you get a little brick, and then it's going. That's turning your AC power into the proper voltage. And by the way, this particular one says it takes in 120 volts AC at 60 hertz and 12 watts, and it outputs 12 volts DC at 500 milliamps, which is half an amp. So that's what those little devices are doing for you. And by the way, um, those are called rectifiers. That's a technical name for them. Is anything that takes AC power and turns it into DC for you is called a rectifier. Now, there's going to be a lot of cases where you have to go the other direction. We're going to need AC power, but what we have is DC. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so, for example, if you have the output of a solar panel, which is going to be DC, or the output of a battery chain on the solar setup, which is going to be DC, and you need AC power to run something, then you're going to need a device that actually goes in the opposite direction and turns DC power into AC. And that's a device we call an inverter. Um, and the picture I have here on the slide is a little 5,000 watt Sunny Boy inverter. That's the brand Sunny Boy that takes uh, DC from a solar array and turns it into AC power that can be fed back into the power grid. This is actually a kind of inverter that's designed to be tied back to the power grid and do that safely. So any solar PV system will have to have an inverter if you want to be able to run the standard types of loads that you're going to plug into a wall outlet or if you're going to want to feed power back into the power grid. That's going to be required part of the system. So we will look at some options, by the way, a pure DC solar PV later on, because there's some really cool things you can do with that. But if you want to have the ability to take your solar array and plug something in that would just be a plug normal into a wall outlet, you're going to need some sort of inverter. And um, I've actually grabbed one of my inverters here, and I have it on the table behind me. This happens to be one of my little portable Inverse. It's a little 800 watt inverter that is uh, designed for portable use. And it's actually got a couple little uh, connectors on it so that I can plug it onto a 12 volt battery because this is a 12, it takes 12 volt DC in. And then on this side is a couple of standard uh, US 120 volt uh, AC outlets. And so it takes 12 volt DC power in here and the electronics inside of it turn it into. 
uh, AC for us, and that is called an inverter. All right, the last big concept I want to run over tonight before we kind of stop and take questions is something we're going to run into a number of times, which is series versus parallel connections of devices. And so in this particular little slide, what we have is uh, a battery that's hooked up to two little DC lamps. In the first uh, picture at the top, they're hooked up in what we call series. That is, they're hooked up one after the other, so that the current has to run through one first and then through the second one next. So all the current that runs through the first lamp also runs through the second lamp. Now we call that a series connection. In the bottom, we have what we call a parallel connection. You'll notice that there's the battery, and we go around, and we come to a fork in the wire, both at the top and the bottom, in which the current can split and now part of the current will flow through the first lamp and part of the current will flow through the second lamp in parallel. And they will come back together at the little node where the two wires join back up and go back to the battery. And that's an important concept because we can have loads in parallel or series, we can have batteries in parallel or series, we can end up with solar panels in parallel or in series. So we'll end up with this concept coming back to us um, a lot. And just to help you get your head wrapped around it, I'm gonna give you a real quick example. It's a little more complicated, but kind of fun. And this is a battery, a five volt battery, uh, that has a bunch of resistors um, connected to it. And you can see each of those resistors is labeled with a certain number of ohms. Remember our little omega symbol stands for ohms. And then all the R numbers are just numbers so we can refer to which resistor we're talking about. And <laughs> I'm gonna just do the math for you real quick. Don't worry about following the math too much, but I'm just gonna you know, look at the circuit and kind of tell you how it works. If you go all the way over to the far right-hand side of the circuit where we have R6 and R7, you'll see both of those are two ohms. And it turns out when we're working with resistors, when you put them in series, their resistance adds up which makes sense, right? If we had uh, a big water pipe and I had a place in it that was kind of small that was like adding resistance to that pipe, and then I added another one a few feet down the, the road uh, on that pipe, then we know that the resistance of the first little constriction point and the resistance of the second constriction point would kind of add up, wouldn't they? So what turns out is, with R6 being two ohms and R7 being two ohms, that acts like a four ohm resistor. We can actually replace that with a four, single four ohm resistor. We get the same, same thing happening. Same amount of current would flow through it. Now, if we look at that, we, can, we see that R6 and R7 are actually in parallel with R5. You kind of go back to the, the, um, the place where there's a branch right before R5. You can see that there's a place where current can split and either go through R5 or go through R6 and R7. So what it turns out is R5, which is four ohms, is in parallel with R6 and R7, which together equal four ohms. And the thing about parallel resistors is that when you put resistors in parallel, 
what you've done is you've given their, you've given multiple paths through which the power can flow. And so you get some power flowing through R5 and some flowing through R6 and R7. And so you'll get, you'll get more current than if you had either one by itself. And therefore, it looks like less resistance. And so what ends up happening is this turns out that if you have a 4-ohm resistor in parallel with a 4-ohm resistor, which is what happens here, that the result is half of the resistance as if you only had one. Kind of makes sense, right? If I took and put two pipes in parallel with each other, um, instead of just one pipe, then I would have half the resistance, as long as they were this, had this, the two pipes were the same size and had the same resistance. Then having two pipes in parallel would have half the resistance, just one. So if I have four ohms in parallel with four ohms, it looks like two ohms. And so that whole little branch, R5, R6, R7, looks like two ohms. I add that in series with R4, which is 10 ohms. That means I add. So 10 ohms plus 2 ohms is 12 ohms. So what that tells me is that entire right-hand side of the circuit looks like a single 12-ohm resistor. And that would all be in parallel with R2 and R3. R2 and R3 are in series with each other. 8 ohms plus 4 ohms is 12 ohms. So that R2 and R3 together is 12 ohms. The whole right-hand side all together looks like 12 ohms in parallel with the 12 ohms of R2 and R3. So 12 ohms in parallel with 12 ohms is 6 ohms, half the resistance. Now I've got 6 ohms, that entire right-hand side of the circuit, everything except for R1, looks like 6 ohms. In series with R1 of 4 ohms, 6 ohms plus 4 ohms is 10 ohms, and that means that I've got 5 volts pushing current through 10 ohms, and for those of you who want to go that far with the math, the Ohm's law tells me that the voltage equals the current times the resistance. So the re what that tells me is that the current would be 5 volts divided by 10 ohms or half an amp. So the math is not as important as just kind of looking through this circuit and thinking about which things are in series and which things are in parallel with each other. So if you follow that, you're doing really, really well. I just wanted to kind of run you through a quick exercise of what's series and what's parallel. And um, we'll be thinking about that, as I said, for batteries, for um, solar panels, for loads, all those kinds of things. So as I said, don't worry about the math. Just try to grab the concept that things connect together either in series or parallel, okay? The last thing I want to kind of mention for today is as we start getting into and discussing how we're going to wire things up safely and efficiently, I will be talking about something we call the National Electrical Code, the NEC. That happens to be the electrical code for most, well, pretty much all of the United States. And if you're in another country, you're almost certainly going to have 
your own country's version of the electrical code. And the reason I want to talk about the electrical code here is because that those documents are the result of a lot of very hard won information about how to wire things up safely and efficiently. And everything that we're going to be talking about doing, we're going to make absolutely certain that we follow the electrical code. Um, there are some places, as an engineer, I run into some regulations that are kind of silly and, and, and you know, don't make much sense. But I will tell you, having worked with the electrical code here in the U.S. and from what I've heard people all around the world, I would highly recommend you pay close attention to these electrical codes. When you work with an electrician or an installer, make certain they understand the codes and that they are working with them. Because if they're not following these codes, then you can have safety issues, people getting electrocuted, starting fires, damaging equipment, and so forth. So the reason I'm mentioning this is that I'm not trying to make you a qualified electrical installer in this class. That would be a lot longer class when we have hands-on components and so forth. I'm trying to get you enough understanding to work with installers and discuss what's going on with them intelligently. There, if you have an electrician, someone who's certified to do this, they'll have been tested on these codes and they should be following them. But it's just important when they start talking about what the code requires, you kind of know what they're talking about, and that you, of course, insist that they follow those codes. So we'll dig into that a little bit more next week. So what I have for you for homework for this week would be to go and look at the informational labels on the various electrical and electronic devices around your home and look at it, try to determine, does it use AC or DC power? What input voltage is it using? How much current does it draw? And how much uh, power does it use total? It kind of uh, it, good for you to start looking around at that. Start to get a feel for, you know, how much power are these different devices around your house actually using while they're on? Um, how much power does say your computer use, how much power does your stove use, how much stove, how much power do you have in a refrigerator, how much does it use. Start looking at that and figuring out um, whether devices are using like a little wall work like we talked about to turn AC into DC and if so, what voltage DC are they using. Uh, take a look at that just to start getting used to, to that because that's going to be one of the things you're going to start thinking about as we think about loads how much power they're using, and what it's going to take to power those up using uh, solar photovoltaic systems. So with that, I'm going I'm to stop there, and we're going to see if we have any questions that we need to run through before we wrap up for today. Awesome, Alan. Um, that was really good again. I apologize to folks. Um, Something, something happened today as we switched in between that video and the uh, and back to the slides. Some of you weren't able to get them back. Hmm. I don't know. I don't. It wasn't a con. I mean, it wasn't everybody's problem. And and one person said that it was on their um, 
was on their iPad and they, let's see, he said it worked on their regular computer and not on the iPad. And they came back in. Um, we've had a little bit of that challenge in the past. We're going to check with GoToWebinar on this. But okay. anyway, apologies. Let's see. Um, so Ankar asks about where would the recording of the first lecture be? That would be in your um, website for the economic action team. And uh, it would be in, there's, there's lots of material there. So you could do a search and just, just do a search for Alan Booker and you'll just get led right to it. Um, or, or solar, um, ecological solar, or there's a table of contents. Um, frankly, I will recommend this. Look for all the stuff you have there. You've got an amazing amount of material. And so you ought to check that out. But but Mark just put up on the uh, question the website. And if you're, for whatever reason, not yet a member, what we do is we make people members after they've registered a, a day or so later. If you're not a member yet, you can just join right there, too. You just, the website, the eatcommunity.com. Um, if you're a member, you just go to the login and you'll be able to get in. If you're if you're not yet, just register. And even if you forget whether you're or not, go ahead and register. It's not going to matter. It'll it'll actually tell you if it already has an email for you. And if you forgot your uh, email, if you forgot your password, there's just a little some blue letters there that say forgot your password, and you'll get a new one. So that's where you get it. Um, what else, anybody? Questions. Uh -huh. Wayne, one of the things um, I would like to ask the audience would be, um, basically, I, I, it would have been probably good to ask this at the very beginning, but I didn't think to do it. So what I would like to do now is, you know, I, I went through a lot of the real basics, um, and I guess what I would, would like to, to see is, um, the first question is, like, for everybody who's on, how helpful was that? And um, maybe a better way of asking it is, um, to ask everybody to just put into um, a number from one to ten on how comfortable or how conversant they are with electrical theory. One being I barely know anything, and ten being I have my PhD in electrical engineering. Um, just so we can get a feel for the audience as we go forward as to how much we need to um, you know, continue to review basics. That'd be really helpful for me to know. Um, cause, um, and if everybody's enjoying, I hope everybody enjoyed me going through the basics like this. Um, and so maybe make a comment if in the, in the, um, question box, if this was helpful for you, um, let me know so that I kind of, again, can continue to, uh, you know, aim this at where the audience really would like for us to be. Well, you've got one, Merlin, who's a regular, who's a set of four. Um, you got Encore, Shah, who was very active. He says he's a nine, but he said it was still really good. Um, Jen said, very helpful for my homeschooling daughter to learn this. Many thanks. Um, very helpful from Kate. Um, Thanks very much from New Zealand. This was very helpful, and I would rate myself as a 2.5. Mm -hmm. Jeff says he's a 7. Robert Humpal says this was very good. I will just tell you, people, if they don't like this stuff, they turn it off, and everybody was staying here, and the numbers were even going up, Alan. So I, okay. it, 
Uh, let me ask the question a different way. You guys are being, uh, you know, you're, you're answering. Is there anybody that doesn't like this, the level that, that Alan's at that just is not going to come back because he's being too basic? And if that's the case, just put a, put a one in. And we'll see, because another person says they're a nine. I mean, you've got some people with some pretty good knowledge, but they're, uh, they're still here. So let's just see what they say. Um, Ankar says I'm a five or a six, although I'd already had an understanding of the electricity. I learned a lot about the conversions going on uh, within the solar energy systems. I appreciate the detail being added. Level is perfect for me. This is from Mary, who's absolutely one of our regulars, and I, I have a lot to a lot of respect for her comment. Um, so um, I'm not seeing anybody. Um, explanation of basic terms and a concept was very good. Suited me perfectly for where I'm at. Um, I didn't follow the um, series parallel section, however. So maybe that he, he, there was somebody that was probably a little more basic, who, well, probably still, you might want to watch it again, Jared, or maybe if that's some news for you, Alan, he just said he didn't follow the series parallel section. Yeah, I, I knew that we were, the, don't worry about the math on that. You know, if you want to go back and watch the replay and just catch, making certain you understand, looking at the circuit, what is in series with what and what is parallel with what. Don't worry about the math part of it. I just want to make certain everybody understands series and parallel. And by the way, I'm going to say something that you probably don't even realize, Alan, but remember that what sounds a lot like what. And sometimes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so, so he is saying what, everyone, when he's saying what? that, not what. Yes. Um, so um, Jen says, I learned the difference between, recti um, be between rectifier um, and inverter, and it says thanks. So, you know, that's, that's great. Well, guys, we've got another session coming up, and we can go probably stay another five minutes here if you've got other questions or comments. Uh, Mary, Mary says, are you coming to Idaho in September? I hope so, Mary. It's, September just got really um, messed up for me, and I'll, I'll tell you guys why, and it's not a positive why. It's a positive why for our community, but not a positive why. I'm going to probably spend at least two weeks of September in Houston. Um, we're going to go down there and do some pretty major um, relief work. We're volunteering time. EAD is. The Institute of Economics is. Um, that clearly wasn't planned. And I have some, some specialized knowledge on mold. And mold's going to be a huge problem down there. So yes. we're going to go down and see if we can help some folks. So that wasn't planned, Mary, when I talked before about going to go, coming to Idaho in September. If it's not in September, it'll be in October. But um, yeah, I hope to. So anything else for Alan here, everybody? And I didn't, nobody came in and said that the level was, was, was you know, annoying to them or anything else. So I, I got to say, I, I knew most of what you described also. And I would put myself kind of as a five in there. Shoot, that was an incredible review for me. So yeah. um, I, I don't think. We're really going to start building on top of that as we go forward. So, you know, I felt it was important to give everybody a good review if you had anything that was maybe not completely clear. So just hold on. We're going to start building on top of that foundation now as we go forward.
Yeah, this is not an overnight course, everybody. It's, we got nine, ten more weeks. Alan says he started that he already saw he's probably going to add another week. So that'll be very helpful. And again, remember this in the context of last week. I'm going to mention this. This is the low-tech solar that Alan's teaching right now. Right. And he did an amazing job of showing last week why the what the whole high-tech was, which was all the other things that this that our sun does and he's gonna he's gonna relate this basics back to that as he moves along here so yep. um, again you kind of got to build so that's where it's gonna go so yeah we've got some really fun really cool stuff coming so um, we're I'm, I'm hoping we can get the video um, worked out so that we can switch back and forth nicely because uh, we have a few really cool videos we'd love to do coming up as well um, some video tours and things like that that we're going to be doing for you, and um, some couple of video, video interviews and so forth on sites. So that will really help um, build everybody's understanding. So I'm hoping we can get that worked out with GoToWebinar so that that's. Uh, that, By the way, I'm going to do something that we don't do often because people don't ask, but we did have a couple of people. They may not know what they've done, but if you put your hand up on the GoToWebinar, it means you really would like to be unmuted, which we're fine at doing. I love doing it. So I'm going to take a little risk here. I'm going to unmute Robert. Robert, muted. I'd like to ask something live to uh, Alan. Go ahead and do it, man. No, I just <laughs> I didn't know what the hand what it meant. The hand. Okay. Okay, that's cool. Hey, good to hear your voice, man. Appreciate you. Where are you at in the world? What part of the world are you in? I'm in Wisconsin. Oh, I'm in, uh, Wisconsin. Paul. Cool. Well, glad to have you, my friend. And uh, Wisconsin, we got lots of our members there, so we'll have to put you in touch with them. So, thank you, man. I'm gonna un I'm gonna mute you again, and then I've got one more. I'm gonna unmute. Sissy, I'm unmuting you. How you Sissy, doing? did you have something you wanted to ask live? Nothing. Okay. Well, thank you for uh, being uh -huh. here. And where are you at in the world? Virginia. Virginia, all right. Thank you so much. I think they, they thought that that was the way they would ask questions. So I just wanted to check with them. So... All right. Um, well, Jeanne, you raised your hand. I'll, I'm going to put you unmuted. Jeanne's down in Australia, I believe. Jeanne, you want to uh, want to say something? Yes. And uh, when I just want to speak up, so you know that I'm not a gentleman. I'm a lady. <laughs> you know what? And I I have thought all along you were a gentleman. So I appreciate you saying that you're. A, that you're yes, a I, I'm. I'm here with my uh, my daughter, twelve year old daughter, and I. Um, I have been thinking that uh, all this time I have not been teaching her much about like uh, physics and I said this is a uh, great so she was here with me for this uh, webinar and uh, um, it, it is uh, yeah it's very good very good what part oh, of Australia that's a great I'm I'm in Melbourne oh okay yeah at the moment I'm just in the normal normal sort of a suburb um, I'm looking forward 
for one day going to the country. I have been looking for a country property for the past four years and uh, the price keep on going up. So I'm always behind. <laughs> um, yes. one, day, one day I will make a move and uh, I, I wish to to build our own house with uh, you know passive uh, solar powered everything else and uh, rocket stove. So it's uh, it's all very good. And, oh, good. Yeah. Stay, stay tuned. So, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about exactly how to put all that together. Yeah, so far I have a, I have a turned, I got rid of a back backyard long and the front yard long and this year I do not need to buy fruits and vegetable, just just a normal oh. sort of block and uh, it's a, it is a, such a, a blessing that um, yes. I can, <laughs> yeah, not only we have uh, supplied um, our own needs and I can I have got a lot of surplus to give to the neighbors and the friends. Um, I hate to cut you off, Jen, but we do have to probably jump off because we have another session in about 13 minutes, and I'm teaching yes. it, so I probably should get to it. But I wanted to say one last thing. Everybody, we, we don't emphasize this, but this is a G-rated community. You guys should bring your kids to these. Let them sit with you while you're watching them live or have have them sit with you when you watch the uh, the replays. That would be wonderful for you guys. So, hundred uh, percent agree says, with that. Yeah, Mary says. By the way, one last one here. We're gonna I'll finish with this with Mary. I'd love if you could have someone lecture on rocket mass heaters, which maybe even uh, um, that's one of the episodes that Alan might do. That's that's clearly solar. So um, he might or might not. Well. Uh, Say is that um, I will be in um, Montana with uh, Paul Wheaton in October for part of their rocket mass heater jamboree up there. So um, I'll uh, be taking some pictures, and we will definitely be talking about rocket mass heaters and how they fit into ecological solar design. So Mary, if if um, if once he's done that, if we still feel that we really need somebody to do something in much more detail, let's let's see if we can get that done. I actually just had a talk tonight with Paul, so um, Paul, we we could see if Paul's got some suggestions for people. Maybe even after that jamboree, Alan, if there's somebody else that that could be useful. We do need to cut this off, everybody. Appreciate all your love and being here, but we got to do another one. So thank you again, Alan. Um, We'll, we'll see you next week. You were awesome again. Thank you, Mark. And Mark, why don't you go ahead and stop the recording and let's get on with our next session. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT Community Podcast.